Insights to Live By, the podcast, discovering new pearls of wisdom to enrich our lives. What does it take to start a movement and to shape the future of work? Hello and Welcome to Insights to Live By. I am your host, Matt Zinman. So grateful to have you here joining us for a conversation I have so been looking forward to, someone I admire greatly, and I know you will too as we get into the conversation. He is an HR tech and future of work expert, a keynote speaker, and the founder of Hacking HR, Enrique Rubio. Welcome to the show. Matt, Great to see you, my friend. Thank you, man. How are you? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. <laughs> I know that you're just from uh, you know a thousand uh, miles away, if you will, just you know <laughs> as far as I can. I just see you as one of the hardest working guys I, I've ever observed. Uh, you know, I know that it takes a village to achieve great things, and you know you've you've enlisted a lot of people to do what you do. But wow, man, you're you're making it happen. You're you're such a huge difference maker, and um, I, I really want to get to the to the heart of your story. Tell us about hacking HR. I, I I know what it is, but you're probably a better person to answer that question. Yeah, well, Matt, once again, thank you so much for having me in your show today. Yeah, of course. Um, very excited about the conversation. Hacking HR is a global, you know, the, the scientific definition. You know, we are a global learning community that brings together. HR leaders, HR practitioners from all over the world to discuss, learn, share, collaborate around all things that are at the intersection of the future of work, technology, innovation, people, transformation, and of course, the impact in the world of HR. So that's technically what we are. Yeah. Uh, Now, when I go to practice, what we do is we are just trying to move the profession forward. You know, I have this very strong, stubborn sometimes naive belief in the power of HR as a change maker, as a trailblazer that is leading people and organizations successfully, effectively, and hopefully painlessly uh, into the future of work. And um, we have a long ways to sort of embrace that power that we have to become trailblazers. I always talk about us having the potential to do that, not being in the place where we can actually do that right now. Right. But that's what I'm working so hard for. I'm working so hard to equip HR, not only with a, with a, with a belief that that's what they are, but also with the tools they need to realize that vision. So that's what I'm doing, man. That's, uh, that's what I do day to day, day by day. Well, every when I, day. <laughs> you know, Enrique, when I hear you say uh, painless, I know that you are an idealist right there, <laughs> yes. to say the least. You know, it's interesting, and you know, stepping back from it all, whether we're talking about HR or really any industry, you know, you're coming into a space that's really very saturated. I think anyone within, uh, you know, the trajectory of HR knows of the Society of Human Resources Management. SHRM, among many others, you know, SHRM is uh, known for any number of different certifications that they do, lots of events that they put on. I mean, I know SHRM well from my background in my work with my nonprofit and the Internship Institute. I've actually exhibited at their conferences. I describe SHRM having nothing to do with ever knowing you, pre-you, as an 800-pound gorilla. That is literally what I, what I, I, I speak to about SHRM. No offense. I mean, SHRM is SHRM. 
but somehow you have seen a need to come into this this industry and really be that trailblazer and find trailblazers uh, you know to to join in with you to move this needle that you describe. One of the things I think is really interesting is that this isn't what what you originally did. You are your background as an electronic engineer in Venezuela, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, let, let me begin by by making a comment about Sherm. Sure. Um, Sherm is the typewriter in the time of quantum computing. Um, they are, uh, and I say, I you know, I, I I say this with a lot of respect to the people who I admire and love. Sure. Who uh, who are take part of like you you know take part of a lot of the stuff they put together, but as a concept, um, as a as a as an organization, the things they themselves, not the people they bring on board, but they what they do as an organization, I think has held the profession back for a long time, mm. and you know these guys have been around for seventy years, and even today, seventy years later, we're still talking about. HR aligning with the business, be, be building a more agile and innovative HR. Right. So when you look back and you say, what have you been doing for 70 years that we are still talking about things that we talked about in the 1990s or in the 1980s or in the 1970s, for that matter? So I, I say this with all due respect, but I, I, I just think that the time, that the, the demands of this time, uh, you know, uh, are so complex and so different than anything that we've seen in the past. And because Sherm has not updated to whatever the world is today, right. I, I, I think we need alternatives to the world of, uh, in the world of HR. And if you think about it, you know, from, from, a, from, a, from a market size perspective, they have been around for 70 years and all they got is 300,000 members, which if you think about it, it's a lot of people, sure. but it's less than 5% of the entire uh, 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 market of HR people is that in right? The US. Wow, yeah, there are there are about twelve million HR people around the world, about five million people in HR in the United States, and you know three hundred thousand people is you know it's it's a it's a good number in absolute terms, but in relative terms to the size of the market, I I, I think there's a lot of work to do to get to the other ninety plus percent. Sure. Um, so we're trying as hacking HR, but also the many other communities. We're not the only one. The many other communities that are trying to move this profession forward. We're trying to provide not just an alternative to them, but we're trying to move the needle forward in the direction of what is needed from HR. Uh, I think that their, their focus on compliance, on policy, on back office uh, uh, administration and operations I'm not saying that that's not important. I'm just saying that that's not everything that HR should be doing today. And that actually will not only is decreasing in value and in percentage of time, but will eventually be so small uh, compared to the other things that we're doing that uh, we need to be investing more time in bringing HR forward to the other things that are more valuable, like, you know, uh, taking care of wellness, well-being, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and belonging, employee experience, human experience at work, upskilling and reskilling the workforce. And all of these things have nothing to do with that stubborn focus on compliance and, and, and administration. So sure. um, I say this because, um, you know, there, there are people who are, you know, um, in HR who are very much aligned with the vision of, of, of what Sherm has proposed, uh, you know, to the world. I just think we need something different, and um, and that's what I'm trying to build. Right. Well, you look. You added a dimension. I mean, 
Sherm must do some things. Whatever they do well, they do well. It's not enough. And I think of Sherm, you know, I think the typewriter analogy is, is, is spot on that they're so big. They are so ingrained in who they are, they can't change. It, it really is like turning the Titanic in the bathtub. That, that, that's <laughs> yeah. part of the, the, uh, the feat that they, they are not able to achieve, and understandably so. And I think people are looking. They're, they're eager for something else, some alternative. Sure, they might need their certifications or the things that you know, keep them uh, you know, grounded in the profession. But to your point, you know, why hasn't the profession advanced? If we are a uh, people-focused profession and people are the greatest asset for any employer, why is HR still struggling to be, you know, quote-unquote, at the C, uh, you know, the C-suite, uh, at the decision-making table, being involved in strategy? You know, yeah. what is that gap that needs to be closed? Now, I know we can go deep on this, but I do want to make sure I ask you one question. Question backing up a half step, Enrique. How did you get from being an electronic engineer to what it is that you're doing now? Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure there's a whole story there, but there's a disconnect like, okay, now this guy's leading a movement around human resources. Uh, what happened there? Well, that's, that's a good question. And, and I, I practiced electronic engineering for many years uh, in, this, in the space of telecommunications. And you know, I got I got to a point in my career where I said to myself, you know, I love working with technology, but I also love working with people. And I think I like working with people more than I like working with technology or just technology. And then I looked around and then I found sales, you know, and, and, uh, and realized that I worked in sales for a little bit in technical sales. And I realized this is not what I like. Uh, is there anything else that has to do with people that is not sales? And I found HR. So I became a consultant in the HR space, coming from electronic engineering. And then I worked in corporate HR for a number of years as well. And I finally decided to sort of step out of the corporate world and, and go you know, all in to building this community of hacking HR, uh, which, by the way, when, when I started hacking HR, the, the premise behind what I was trying to do was get the worlds of technology and human resources closer to each other. Okay. Because those were the two worlds that I, not only that I knew, but those were the two worlds that I was passionate about. But do, in, in doing so, I realized that what HR needed was not just, uh, was not just more tools and knowledge about technology, but about many other things. And that's when I said, well, you know, maybe hacking HR is not just bringing together the worlds of technology and HR, but it's just basically moving HR forward in all the worlds that uh, pertain to people, organizations, future of work and whatnot. So, right. so that's, that's what, that's what, uh, that was the transition. Uh, that's what the transition looked like for me. You know, it, it was just about uh, uh, an epiphany of a, uh, I, I like technology, but I want to work with people and, um, and that's how I got into HR. Right. Well, you saw the need. And again, it's funny. It, I, I'd still come back to the typewriter since you are is speaking to the technology side. And I joke around about myself because I did type my papers in college and I describe myself as being analog. I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> am I now analogous to, to Sherm? Um, but you know, what's interesting is uh, I, I've been involved in an organization here in Philadelphia that I think is fantastic called the Philadelphia Society of People and Strategy. And just a wonderful group of people, very intimate. Everyone's really very supportive of one another. And the way I describe that organization is that they put the human back in HR. 
And uh, I, I do think that, in, in my experience, that there has been that lack of, ironically, uh, the, the human connection because HR does get so bogged down in all the other things and benefits and compliance and, you know, just kind of getting through all the nuts and bolts of it that, you know, what's left over of what might be a limited, in all fairness, uh, companies may not be staffing their HR department uh, as well as they ought to, to take it to that extra level to be more people-centered. But if I may, Enrique, in my observation, I think that hacking HR is also putting the human back in HR as a global community. So you saw this need, and maybe it was technology-driven, but to be somebody and say, oh, okay, you know, there's this huge organization that isn't quite cutting it for the industry, and I see this need, it takes a certain someone to act on it. It's one thing that's right. So, so that's you. So how did you do it? What, where did you start? I'm just, again, even though we're just talking HR, this could be any industry. How did you, yeah. how did you, what were the beginnings of it? How did you get it off the ground? Yeah, well, the, the, uh, when I had my corporate job, I realized that I loved the work. I loved the potential of the work of HR. I just didn't think that we were doing it right. And my premise or, or my initial assumption was, well, maybe this is just us. Maybe it is just us that suck, <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe all other organizations are so much better than us in HR that I got to learn from them or just move on to another job. And then when I started looking around, I realized it's not just us. You know, the perception of HR across the board is pretty, pretty bad. Right. You know, uh, you know it's, it's, a, it's a pretty you know, um, there, there was back, back then I remember reading articles about, you know, HR is not your friend. Don't talk to HR, right. never say anything to HR. I remember reading research saying that 80 or 90% of the people of HR did not, of, of the, of companies, employees in companies did not trust HR. And then I realized to, you know what, it's not just us. It really is the perception that HR has yeah. as as an operator of those processes that you talked about before, benefits, compliance, blah, 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 uh, is the perception of HR being just for the leaders or the business and not for the people. And when I realized that, and I said, I'm living this in my own life right now as an HR professional, uh, you know, can we do better? Can we do differently? Can we do something, something else? And I said, well, there, there, there may be a million things to do in the world of HR, but I'm just going to focus for now on the world of technology and HR. And that's why I, that's how I started hacking HR. You know, we started doing very small events at, uh, in Washington, D.C., where I used to live before. And, you know, I, I, I realized people are eager to have these conversations. People are eager to move this career forward. HR professionals realize that they are working their butts off all the time. And even then the perception of them is not positive. So there's a disconnect somewhere between somebody in HR saying, why is it that I'm working my butt off all the time? And still people don't trust me. And still people don't like the work that I do. And still people talk BS about HR. What's going on here. And uh, that's, that's, that helped me not only create hacking HR, but continue the journey into developing hacking HR in, in fields that no, were not just technology and HR, but other, you know, employee experience, as I said before, and many other areas. But yeah, you know, it takes, uh, it takes, uh, it takes a lot of courage to do something like this, um, especially because you are, um, 
you know, you are entering into a space that before the pandemic, nobody gave two cents about HR. I'm sorry, you know, I love HR. I love HR and everybody who knows me and follows my work with Hacking right. HR, you know how much I love this space and how much work I put into to make it better. But before the pandemic, nobody gave two cents about HR. Nobody cared about HR. They only cared about HR as in, I don't want to be close to them. Now, of course, all of that changed with the pandemic, but saying, you know, like myself, you know, uh, uh, thinking I want to do something to move HR forward, that took courage, you know, and, 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 and braveness, if you will. Uh, to do something like this, uh, because I was thinking, you know, is there any opportunity to really, uh, you know, move this profession forward? Can this profession be moved forward at all? Uh, the answer is yes, of course. And, uh, but I didn't know that at the very beginning of the journey. So sure. that's, 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 uh, that's um, sort of the, 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 the character it took to be able to build this. And even today it's not easy, man, uh, because today I still talk to people who uh, do not, share my perception of HR or my idea, my belief of HR being a trailblazer. They still think that HR is just, you know, an operator, right. you know, and, and that's it. And I don't think that's true. Well, the passion certainly is, is a great driver. And when you're talking about something that is so, so massive to take on in terms of wanting to just affect change in an industry, one cannot achieve lofty goals alone. And so yeah. I know that you've been enlisting any number of people. In fact, you know, you're only five years in, right? You started this in 2017. Is that right? At the, at the end of 17. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, five years in, you just did a global conference. Was it uh, more than 500? Wait, how many speakers did you have? At we this, had more than 500 speakers. Yeah, that's, year, I thought I had that right. And also last year, more than 500 speakers. Yeah, yeah, more than 500 speakers. And then you also did, you were able to do, uh, I, I, I read, 500 Sherman HRCI credits that you offer yeah. that's an appeal to HR professionals naturally to have yeah. their, their, their credits. But how did you enlist people? Who, were you, who did you decide, okay, well, I'm, I, I, I want to do this. Who do you reach out to in order to form that initial community around you in order to get it off the ground? Where did you go? Well, it, it's just the, it, I think it's a little bit of the grind of just putting yourself out there. And, you know, I think now we have built a little bit of a, more of a reputation and we have a brand that is more recognized. Even if people don't get involved, they know who we are. Right. But that, this, is not, this was not true back in 17. You know, when I, when I started inviting people to the first event, to the first events, which were in person in Washington, D.C., in New York, in Chicago. People were like, you know, first of all, who are you? You know, I mean, you know, how dare you reach out to me to invite me to do whatever, right? <laughs> right. Um, so it was, it was that journey of putting myself out there and saying, you know, the best thing that can happen is that they say, yeah, I love this and I want to join. The worst thing that can happen is that they say no or that they ignore me, which many did back then and many continue to do today. And that's part of the journey, right? I mean, I, I right. invite... You know, I bring 500 speakers to the online conference that we do now, but that doesn't mean that I sent out only 500 invitations. I send, I send out generally about 10,000 invitations. And that's sure. a list that I curate myself. I look at all those people, I research about them, and then I invite them. Very often, some of them cannot make it, or some of them have some work policies that don't allow them to speak in public, or some others just ignore me or say no. Um, but it's, it takes not only for hacking HR, but for whatever you want to do, especially when you are in the beginning of a journey, it takes courage to put yourself out there and say, I am going to assume the risks of putting myself out there, meaning 
getting being you know getting no's or being ignored all on the road to get the yeses that I want to get to. Um, so that's 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 how I did it. And uh, even today, it's a lot of work. And um, but hey, you know that's that's uh, it's it's part of what I do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know the, go ahead. Man, let me let me tell you this. Yeah, you know. About the global conference, because I think, you know, you, you asked me about the, the conference, and right. I think there's, there's one, one thing that I want to plug in here. Please. The first global conference that we did was in 2020, March of 2020. I started planning the conference in November of 2019, and by then, neither, none of us, I think most people in the world didn't know anything about COVID. And I said, I want to do this virtual, and I want to do it for free. And this is why, when I looked around at the existing HR conferences out there, including Sherm, by the way, and I look at how much they cost and I look at where they are, they, and you know, these events end up talking about inclusion, but by definition, by design, those very events are exclusive because who can pay $2,000 to travel to, you know, to San Diego, to right. Las Vegas or whatever to go sure. to a conference. And I said, why is it that we are making it so difficult for HR professionals to get access to all this cadre of amazing speakers? And the reason why I created the conference being free and online is because I wanted to remove the biggest two barriers that prevented people from joining a conference. One of them, money to pay for registration sure. and the other time to travel to whatever you know the conference was happening. So now I invite some of the biggest names in the HR space, not the traditional names, but more the, you know, the, the, the more um, reputable HR leaders in the world. I bring them to my conference and they come, they speak and everybody get access to this for free. Uh, because, you know, why not? I mean, why can't we put this knowledge, these ideas, these insights in the hands of people without any barriers? So I wanted to say that because that's part of the context of what I'm trying to build here. It's, uh, it's bringing the profession forward means making sure that HR professionals around the world have the opportunity to be immersed in conversations that they otherwise would not have the opportunity to be immersed in because they are, you know, prohibitively expensive or, or whatever it is. Well, I'm so glad that you went there. You know, in addition to being something that I think people maybe not even have realized that they yearned for, you know, you don't know what you're missing until it's actually in front of you to, to see. Yeah. Just in being a, a global learning community, in making it accessible online at a time with COVID coming on, the timing uh, was was a factor in making uh, your programming accessible to those who, who craved it and the community being accessible, but, you know, needed nonetheless. And HR taking on such a focal uh, role and responsibility and, uh, yeah. you know, continuing, you know, into this point. So uh, I just so applaud everything that you're, that you've been doing. I, you know, before we move on in the conversation, because certainly we have other things, including your insights I want to get to, um, please just give uh, a little bit more detail about Hacking HR. Um, you have memberships, you have conferences, you do sponsors, you offer CE credits. Um, I'm sure you can explain this better than I. What, what, am, <laughs> what am I missing? Well, you know, as a global learning community, we're, we are, th there are two, two or three pillars that are the most powerful pillars that are the foundation of our work. One of them is community. You know, we're, we're trying, and we're still far away from building the tools for this to happen more organically, but we are trying to bring people together for them to connect, whether we are connecting them or not. All that we, I want to be the bridge that helps them 
cross from one side to another to connect with people around the world to have conversations that matter to all of them. So number one, community. Number two, collaboration. It's just, you know, I, I speak with so many HR leaders and professionals all the time. And I realize, number one, that the challenges that we're dealing with are pretty much the same challenges everywhere in the world. There are nuances and flavors and, you know, uh, specificities based on geographies and industries, but the challenges are pretty much the same. And then I listen to one HR leader and they tell me, this is how I'm solving this challenge. And then I listen to another HR leader and they tell me, this is how I'm solving this challenge, which is the same challenge. And I'm thinking, why don't you guys come together and share the things that you're doing? Because you are going to make so much, uh, you're going to make yourself so much better by sharing what you're doing, the insights, the data, the experiences. So that collaboration, which has not really been part of the HR core uh, uh, of operation, right. I think it's so powerful. And then the third thing, of course, is the learning pillar, which for me is how do we put together all this content, all these events, the programs and everything that we're doing uh, in the hands of HR. We are right now, most of our content um, is um, is shared via via events, via podcasts and, and whatnot. We are moving on and I'm hoping that this year we're going to start delivering our first certifications, they are not going to be SHRM-like. Um, I, you, you, I think you already know my position about SHRM. Yeah, um, I, I, have a, I share a similar I, one, sure. I, I think my, my, the, my vision for what a certification should be is very different from what SHRM offers already. And, uh, you know, we are trying to build some certifications diff- that are different, both in delivery and design. And I'm hoping that we can do that either towards the end of this year or the beginning of next year. But those are the three things that we offer, right. community, collaboration, and learning. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it's great hearing it from you as I as I step back just as the, an outside observer mainly uh, to recognize, you're right, you know, the collaboration, the access to, to be able to do that just – you're democratizing it you know, and globally yeah. uh, as well as that, that need for community and certainly continuing to up your game on a programming standpoint. I wish we had the time to get into the, I'm yeah. very fascinated about the behind the scenes. I think your business model is fantastic. You're making things accessible for free, but people can upgrade to premium, you know, all yeah. the things that you do. Um, I just so appreciate Enrique. So we are going to get to your insights to live by your three life lessons. But before we do, you may know, or perhaps not. We have a segment on the show where we want to learn just a little bit more about you. We have a wheel here with huh. insights about Enrique Rubio. Uh, let's spin this a couple of times. Let's see where it takes us. That is so cool. I do my best. This was my wife's idea, so I, t- I can't take credit. Enrique, uh, the question is uh, best age. Best age. What was for, 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 me for you? What is, what's the best age that you've had in life to date? I think now. Yeah, you know, I, knew, I, knew, 40, I knew the uh, answer. And I am, I'm 40 years old, and I think this is the best age. Yeah. You know, I, th- I think uh, uh, I am excited about entering to my fourth decade, and, and, and I think uh, more than age, I think it's the, de- the decade of the 40s for me will be pretty pretty cool, I'm hoping. I, I, uh, I, I think hope is uh, not as much a part of the equation as all that you've got going on. That might be the most <laughs> re- rhetorical question I've seen come on the wheel. Let's go another time. Ooh, wow, you are the right guy for this one. Uh, and I should tell you that no guest, we're in the second season of the show, no guest in any one season gets the same question. You're the only one who's going to tell what your best age is. And in this case, 2050 
What are your predictions for 2050? Now, um, we only have so much time in the show here, so I'd say come up with a, a couple things that come to mind, and you're, you know, being a visionary as you are uh, looking ahead almost 30 years, what do you see? Oh, man, that, that is such a uh, difficult question. I know, uh, I know. Uh, I was stalling uh, for time for you, just uh, trying to give Especially because I'm trying to... Um, I'm trying to have a positive outlook of what 2050 could look like. Right. Uh, but, you, you know, I think, no, number one, I think climate change will, uh, this is the negative one. Right. You know, I think climate change um, is, the, is the biggest crisis of our lifetimes and probably in the entire history of humanity. Right. And I think that by 2050, the world, both geographically, politically, socially, economically, will look very different than it does today if not for any other reason, for climate change. Wow. So and is, and, and is, I know you're right. It's just out of sight, out of mind, unfortunately, and that's part of the problem for people. Well, you know, but you, I'm so glad you brought it up. You just think about, uh, you know, just one example of this. You know, you just think about a state like Florida. You know, there are, uh, Florida is one of the states that is attracting the most amount of people in the U.S., you know, for, you know, relaxed tax laws and whatnot. But because of the rising oceans, it is suspected that 15%, 20% of all the coastline in Florida will be underwater by the year 2045. Um, so you're thinking, you're talking about cities like Miami, you know, Fort Lauderdale, uh, Jacksonville, uh, you know, Dayton, all of these cities, Tampa, St. Petersburg, all of these cities that are uh, in the coastline of, my, of Florida being potentially underwater. Imagine the consequences of that not just for the state of Florida, but for a state that is one of the five largest states in America. So now imagine, you know, I always like to tell people, you know, beyond Florida, think about a country like Bangladesh, which is like 75% underwater or below the level of water. This country is expected to be 50% underwater in the next 10 or 15 years. We're talking about 70 million people being displaced by the rising level of the oceans over the next 15 years. Where are they going to go? Are they going to go to India, Australia, Singapore, Indonesia? So the massive pressures we create uh, in society is just unbelievable. So climate change, I think, will definitely uh, transform everything that we know today. Right. On and the it, flip side of that, well, let, me, let me just take pause on what you're saying here, because I know, of course, we could do a whole show on that topic alone. Yeah. But it's, it is one of those things. Who wants to think about that, right? But yeah. what's more important to think about? So I'm, I'm very glad you brought it up. Uh, okay, let's go to the flip side. What do you think? The, the flip side of that is that because our problems, uh, not just climate change caused by the many other challenges that we're going to be dealing with um, uh, over the next few years, including the dramatic impact of technological disruption in jobs, in societies. My hope, and this is not necessarily a prediction, it's more of a hope, is that we come together as society, you know, removing or putting aside the things that make us different or the things that make us think differently, like, you know, religion and ethnicity and, you know, sex identity, whatever it is, gender identity, whatever it is. I am hoping that we come together and say, hey, climate change doesn't affect just, you know, Republicans or Democrats or blacks or whites or, you know, Ukrainians and Russians. It affects everybody. How do we come together to solve these very complex challenges? So one negative and one optimistic outlook of what the negative can bring out of us going forward. You know, Enrique, you are the right guy to ask this question. And, you know, on the flip side, while driven by the obvious around climate change, it does make everything else seem so petty. And so, right, to say the least. And so I do think that you're right, and I hadn't quite thought about that, in that having that effect on people and just changing the, uh, the, the, 
you know, the frequency of how people as a, as a global community uh, interrelate and, and what, again, the work that you're doing uh, yeah. and, and how that unfolds is going to play a major role. Okay. Yeah. So, well, you know, I, 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 live yeah. in this, I live in the state of Arizona, which is a very dry, dry state. Right. You know, we get water from all the, um, from all the basin of the Colorado River, right. which is shared by four states, Nevada, uh, California, Utah, and Arizona. All the levels of all the reservoirs uh, in this in these areas are lower than they have ever yeah, been. Yeah, they're drying up. It's like fifty million people because the Colorado they are River. Up. Yeah, and now the question for us is how are we going to share the resources that we've been sharing over time? So my guess is that down the road, these four states will be fighting for the rights of that water. Oh yeah. Instead of coming together and saying, "Hey guys, you know we got this problem." Forget about if you're a Republican or if I'm a Democrat or whatever it is. How do we solve this? Uh, because our people won't have drinking water th- down the road. So anyway, I'm saying this because no. it, it's a very, um, uh, it's a very optimistic outlook of how we need to to bring people together right. to resolve these challenges. Well, it's never come up on the show, and I'm so glad it did. I, I certainly <laughs> have uh, a shared passion about it, and you're, you know, as in being the leader that you are. Um, it's necessary that you know you continue to voice this. So please keep talking about this. Uh, so let's go on to your insights to live by. These are your three life lessons capping off the show. Uh, when you give someone advice, maybe it's your young cousin or whomever about life. Um, what are the things that you say? I, I in this case, I'll ask you, Enrique Rubio. What is your first insight to live by? I, I would say just just do it. It, like that it, just get it done uh you right. know um stop talking stop uh you know philosophizing about whatever you want to do and whatever you want to be get it done and this means that you know you gotta put your stuff out there you gotta step into the journey and when you think of whatever you want to do as a journey then you realize that there's no beginning and no end and there's no beginning as in whatever you are in the journey today that's the place where you are and forward is the only direction and there's no end as in whatever whatever you go when you get there you will say hey i got here it's exciting but i want to move on to the next thing right so just just get it done you know put yourself out there in the journey and get it done yeah and the fulfillment of that i mean certainly we need more doers in the world but you know on an individual human level just you know we we only have one go around here that we can be certain of you know that doing more and having more doers in the world is certainly going to make life that much better. So thank you for that. Okay. On to your second insight to live by Enrique, what do you got? I'd say, you know, it sort of as a consequence of the the insight, number one, the second one would be, you got to develop a little bit of a thicker skin. And, and, and what that means is as you put yourself out there in the world, not everybody will be always liking what you do. That's totally fine. And as long as, you know, there's a respectful sort of disagreement and, and uh, you know, conversations and whatnot. But I, I, I'll say when you put yourself out there, know that even, even if you are developing, you know, the vaccine against HIV, some people will say, I don't like that. You know, and right. that, I, 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 right. I have no idea why, right. but that would happen. So you got to develop a thick skin to say, you know, I, I'm going to learn from the feedback that I'm getting, I'm going to learn from the, from the input that I'm getting from my, from those that, you know, who surround me, those, those, those around me, but I'm going to continue the journey. Uh, And that requires a little bit of a thicker skin, I guess. 
Right. I almost said it before when you talked about not everyone's loving what you're doing. You know, haters are going to hate. You know, anybody who's going to uh, you know be a, a trailblazer is going to have to encounter uh, that that lesser side of human nature. Unfortunately, yeah. okay. You let's... Know, I, I love uh, yeah. I love Taylor Taylor Swift. I know it's a, yes. you know, I look like a like a teenager, but I uh, I love Taylor <laughs> Taylor Swift. I think she's awesome. Yes. And she, I, I was looking at this interview with her the other day, and she said, you know what? If I go out with a friend for lunch, then they say that I'm in love with him. If I don't go out with a friend for lunch anymore, then they say that I broke up with him. So it's like, I can never do anything right. right. She's like, I don't care anymore. I don't, I don't, I just stopped caring. That's exactly what, what I mean by this. You know, it's like, you know, this shake it off uh, <laughs> shake kind it off. of uh, idea. I, I I have to admit, I, I am, uh, I do have some Taylor Swift songs uh, in my rotation. Um, people just want her to make more music. That's why they make those assumptions. Um, so funny where, where the things go. Okay, Enrique, on, on your third insight to live by now, is this the one that you, uh, if you're going to give them one word of advice, one piece of advice, this is it, kind of a level playing field. Um, what, what comes to mind as your third insight to live by? Um, you know, I, I want to say, you know, a sort of a two-part insight. Sure. Um, actually, I'm going to just re- uh, summarize it in one word. Be radically open-minded. Um, I wrote a, a blog post, which, you know, became really, really, uh, you know, viral and whatnot, you know, years ago. And it was about becoming radically open-minded. Somebody who is open-minded, just open-minded, is somebody who says, uh, I am willing to change my mind about something as long as that something is still aligns with my system of values, beliefs, principles, and philosophies of life and assumptions about the way things are. Being radically open-minded means changing your perception about something so radically that even if that one thing contradicts your very system of beliefs, you can still do it because it is so evident that that's the right thing to do. Um, this is so important, especially in a world that is becoming more uh, uh, politically polar, uh, polarized than ever before, that you say, you know, I am a liberal or a, uh, I am a conservative, but, you know, climate change is real. Or I am a liberal and I am a conservative, but maybe, you know, uh, we should have, uh, you know, a small governments making tiny decisions at the local level. So being so op- so radically open as to say, I'm going to do this one thing, even if it's not, if, if it doesn't align fully with my system of beliefs, I think that is uh, such a powerful way to live life, especially given the fact that everything around us uh, is changing, our, uh, you know, everything is changing so fast and so, so chaotically around us that being radically open-minded has become so much more important than ever in the past. So that would be my third insight to live by. Wonderful. You know, I, typically I will have more to say about someone's insight to live by. You covered that so well. The, the only point that comes to mind in being a difference maker, and it's subtle, is that you're putting the word radically in front of it. You're putting the word radically in front of being open-minded to remind people you're not really being open-minded. You almost need that word in order to shake them out of and what they need to be. So with that, in, in winding down here, uh, we are going to have in the show notes how people can find you, get their amazing hacking HR account and access to the community and global uh, uh, learning. I have my account on my screen looking right at me. That's at hackinghrlab.io. Um, Enrique, any final words as we wind down here? Yep. Just uh, thank you so much for inviting me, Matt. Uh, this was a great chat. And and I'm hoping to see a world where there are more doers with a thicker skin to make happen the dreams that they have and making sure that even along the way, 
when they are moving along, they they remain radically open-minded to change directions whenever it's needed, uh, you know, given uh, all the data and the facts in front of them that simply tell, tells them uh, or tell them, hey, you know, maybe if we move in a different direction, we will be doing better. Well, on that note, again, you said it, you say it so well, um, Enrique, it's such a wonderful conversation. So appreciate you. Uh, joining the show and I wish you all the best as uh, we continue to watch and appreciate all the things that you do in making a difference for uh, the uh, and many people's lives in the world at large. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Insights to Live By. Please feel welcome to connect with me on LinkedIn and Instagram and make the most of our free resources to improve your life for good at mattzinman.com. Wishing you and yours an enriching day, and we'll see you next time.